several thousands of years old. In the redwood forests of California, there are trees that are said to be over 5,000 years old. Can you imagine? That tree was standing there when Lord Krishna was having his leela. That tree was standing there when Lord Buddha appeared and traveled throughout the land, spreading the Buddhist dharma. That same tree was there when Lord Jesus Christ was preaching the gospel in the Middle East. That tree was present when Shankaracharya came to refute the Buddhist doctrine and establish the doctrine of monism. That tree was present when the Prophet Muhammad appeared in the Arabian countries and spread far and wide ah, the Islamic faith. That tree was standing there when the Red Indians had to complete um, jurisdiction over the entire continent of North America. That tree was standing there when Christopher Columbus came and so-called discovered the United States. And when all the Europeans came to settle and claimed it to be their own. That tree was standing there when each and every one of us in this room took birth in our insignificant lives, we will go through our childhood, we will go through our student years, and then we will go through our adolescence. We will marry, we will have children, they, would, they will grow up, they will marry, we will work hard, we will retire, we will grow old, and that tree will watch us die. And after we're dead and gone, that same tree will be standing there watching our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren. Our names will be completely forgotten. There will not be a practically a trace of remembrance of us in the history of this world after five or six generations. And that tree will still be standing there, watching it all. So what is so great about that tree? Shukadev Goswami says in Bhagavatam, it is better to have one moment of full consciousness than 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 years of a life in ignorance. <clears throat> the purpose of the life of a tree is its quantity. But human life never has much quantity. So you live a hundred years, maybe a hundred two or a hundred three or 106. Maybe you can even attain the mighty status of living till 108. Of course, in that 108 years, 
probably the last 30, you're a total invalid, <coughs> living like a breathing vegetable, not really accomplishing or doing anything in this world except basically living like a tree, having your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren come by and water you every now and then, trim your branches. <coughs> Human life, so what? What is a hundred years? Ninety years? Eighty years? The average life expectancy is now only in their 60s or 70s. Human life is meant for quality. And what is quality? The dogs, the hogs, the camels, the asses. It is described that men who have the mentality of dogs, hogs, camels, and asses, they praise the qualities of other men who have qualities of better dogs, hogs, camels, and asses. A dog is very expert at being like a beggar begging for scraps of food from the master. People go to college, they put in 20 years of education, they get high, high PhDs, and then what do they do? Like dogs, they go begging for a job, begging for some scraps, for some money. Dogs are also very expert at making a lot of noise, trying to defend what they have. What doesn't actually belong to them, they still want to defend. Just like in America, almost every family has a dog. And if you really want to know about dogs, you ask any postman. Huh? They know all about dogs. Because when they go to each house to deliver the mess, the letter, every house they have to go through the same ordeal. <laughs> Most postmen, they have to wear special pants so that with special plastic armor so that when dogs bite them, they do not bleed. Why? Because the dog is saying, get out of my house, this is my house. When the master comes, the dog doesn't bark. But anyone else that comes, ruff, 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 ruff. get away from my house, get away from my door. That place does not belong to the dog, but the dog is very proud that this is mine and you keep away. Human civilization is basically the civilization of dogs. Practically any country you go to, when you go through immigration, ruff, 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 ruff. what are you doing here? Why do you, why do, what do you want? What is your business? Where are you going to stay? This is my land. This is not your land. Where is your passport? It's God's property. 
But because they're of the mentality of dogs, they are thinking this is mine, and they're very protective, that no one else can come. This is my house, this is my wealth, this is my family, this is my nation. And then, when there's so much chaos, they decide that this is not conducive to our sense gratification, all this chaos, all this imminent danger of fighting and war. So let us form the United Nations. And let us create peace on earth. Our spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, he was invited to the United Nations to give lecture. And when he came out, he explained that the United Nation is just a big building where an assembly of all varieties of dogs from other parts of the world just come together to bark at one another. He says, what peace can you have if you take 12, 50, or 100 dogs and put them in the same room? Can you expect peace amongst them? They're simply growling at one another. This is mine, that is yours. You stay off my land, I'll stay off your land. I want what you have, you want what I have. Huh? So much negotiation. And the dog that barks the loudest and has the sharpest teeth, he is considered the greatest dog. Huh? Right now, the most respected nations in the world are nations like America and Soviet Union. Why? Because they have the sharpest teeth. Huh? They have the biggest bombs. It's not that they have such a divine, peaceful culture. Soviet Union is on the brinks of dis inner destruction due to inner uh, unrest amongst the people, lack of trust in authorities. In the 1960s in the United States, there was a civil war taking place. People from other parts of the world have no idea of the extent of the critical condition of that country. That the young people no longer wanted to follow the principles of the government. They knew that the people who were running the government were cheaters. They were sending them to the battlefields of Vietnam just so that they can get money. There's no reason for the war except money. Why should we give our lives? Why should we see our friends die? Because these big people want money. In the name of protecting communism, there was no question of protecting communism. So in this way, there was a civil war. The young generation turned against the older generation and there were riots in the streets almost every day. On the college campuses, the U.S. Army were con coming in and gunning down with machine guns innocent students, wounding hundreds and killing many. It was shocking. The U.S. Army going into the First World War, the Second World War, in another land fighting against the Japanese or the Germans, that's one thing. But coming on the college campuses and shooting dead their innocent own youth who don't even have a knife or a, or a stick to defend themselves with. 
This was the condition. And ultimately there has been many books about this. Most people in the world do not know it, but the US government seemed to just allow millions and millions and millions of dollars of drugs to come in to completely tranquilize the young generation so that they wouldn't be so um, aggressive in their rebellious pursuits against the establishment. You don't believe it, but it's a fact. And in this way, look at these countries now. They're both about to have economic collapses. The people of the country are miserable. But they're the most respected countries in the world. Why? Because they have the biggest fangs, the sharpest teeth. Why? Because this is a world of dogs. A dog does not respect a another dog because of his gentle qualities or saintly qualities. He respects out of fear the dog that has the biggest teeth and the sharpest teeth and who can bark the loudest. Right? And hogs, what is the quality of a hog? He has no discrimination what he eats or doesn't eat. In fact, hogs prefer the most abominable things. Hogs are very fond of eating stool. Our Guru Maharaj used to tell us that if you offer a hog nice, fresh halava, the hog, if he has his choice, he will say, Give me my stool instead. We have no discrimination. So similarly, human civilization, they do not know what is to be done, what is not to be done. All over the world, they, you are what you eat. People are eating abominable substances. So this is a civilization where people have lost the power to discriminate between what is valuable and what is, has no value. People are given the opportunity, especially people in India, they're given the opportunity of the most precious, highest jewel attainable in human life to decorate their life with that jewel. The jewel of religion. The jewel of philosophy. That can give you the integrity, the respectability, the honor, and the understanding and realization by which you can truly guide the people of the world to real peace and real unity. That is available to everyone in India, rich or poor. But although this jewel is being placed right within the hand 
They are throwing the jewel down to pick up the garbage of this world. Modern technology, scientific advancement, money, fame, prestige, sex life. These things are considered so valuable. But compared to the opportunity to live an eternal life full of peace and knowledge, it's useless. So man has become like hogs. You give them the halava of pure devotional service and they want the stool of sense gratification. They reject it. They throw it away. Isn't this true? Look around. Even in the name of religion, practically everyone is simply chasing after material sense enjoyment. Dhruva Maharaj wanted the highest sense enjoyment you can imagine. He wanted to control a kingdom greater than his own grandfather who happened to be Lord Brahma, great-grandfather. His father was King Uttanapada. His grandfather was Swayambhuva Manu. His great-grandfather was Lord Brahma. He went to the forest to perform tapasya to attain a kingdom greater than his great-grandfather's. And after performing devotional service under the instructions of the great sadhu Srila Narada Muni, the Supreme Lord Narayan appeared before Dhruva Maharaj. And he said, Dhruva, I will give you anything you desire. You want a kingdom like your grandfather or great-grandfather? It is awarded to you. Dhruva Maharaj said, no. What do I want such a foolish kingdom for? It is all temporary. It has no eternal value. Now that I have your darshan, now I am feeling the peace, the bliss of loving you. Now I can broadcast your glories throughout the world. Now I am completely content, completely satisfied. My dear Lord, I do not desire anything else. I was looking for broken pieces of glass, but now I have attained a rare diamond. That was the realization of Dhruva. But the realization of the people of today's society is they're being given the rare giant diamond and they're saying, no, what do I want this old diamond for? Give me nice glass as much as I can get. They're greedy for glass. Broken glass. Economic development. Sense gratification. Therefore, this is an age where people are essentially like hogs. They have no discrimination of what is valuable and what is not valuable. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that Kali Yuga means a civilization of people where they do not know what is to be done and what is not to be done. They mistake religion to be irreligion and irreligion to be religion. And hardly anyone is interested in educating people in the real values of life. Our Guru Maharaj used to say that the educational institutions in the West are nothing more than spiritual slaughterhouses.
they will teach the highest scientific understandings of the most technological fields. And they expand a person's brain to bigger and bigger and bigger concepts of how to manipulate and exploit the resources of material nature. But in the meanwhile, lust and greed and envy and anger and pride and illusion grow and grow greater and greater and greater in people's hearts. Intoxication, illicit sex, meat-eating, gambling. They're encouraged by the whole society around them. And by the time these students come out of college, they're very, very expert at manipulation and exploitation but because their hearts are full of greed and lust and pride, what do you think they're going to do for the world with all of their great power? I'll tell you what they can do for the world. Read the newspapers any day of the week and you will see what they are doing to the world. The problems of the world are all being caused by the intelligent class, not by the illiterate, not the big problems of the world. Why? Because the students are not trained to discriminate what is of value and what is not. Who am I? What is God? What are the laws of God? What will bring me peace? In fact, when I was a young boy, every day before school would start, it was a law that you had to take the right hand and place it over your heart. And you had to look up toward the stars and stripes of the red, white, and blue flag of the United States, and you had to pledge allegiance. And if you didn't, you would be kicked out of school. And everyone said together, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation, under God, indivisible, for liberty and justice for all. I can't believe that Krishna allowed me to remember this. <laughs> it's been 30 years. Anyways, what happened is, after some time, they canceled it. It became illegal to say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Why? Because of the last line. <clears throat> one nation under God. They made it a law that the name God or anything having to do with religion is absolutely illegal to discuss in school. Now when they're propagating such a godless condition of life, what do you expect these students to do with all the education and knowledge they acquire? They have no discrimination. They do not know what is the difference between eternal and, and temporary. They do not know what is a sin. They do not know what are the consequences of sin. And what is the result? Completely unrestricted sense enjoyment. The sexual revolution. 
The young generation decided, what are you talking about, no sex? It feels good. If it feels good, do it. That is our philosophy. You're talking about sins and all these things. We don't care. If it feels good, do it. So what happens? Uh, if a man or a woman, by the time they're 16 or 18 years old, if they have not had sex, there's something wrong with them. They should go to a psychiatrist. They're socially outcasts. If you're a 17 or 18 year old man and you haven't had sex, people will look at you and think, my God, what's wrong with you? You're a reject. People will have sex not even because they want it, just to be accepted by the generation. And what is the result? First there was herpes, then there was gonorrhea and syphilis, and somehow or other by scientific advancement they combated these things and created the cures. Yes, you can have sex fearlessly. And now there's AIDS. Big problem. According to the scientists, according to the health, the, the U.S. Health Department, they say if the AIDS con continues to grow, by the year 2000, at the rate it's growing now, 20% of America will die of AIDS. And by the middle of, the of, of that century, 50% of America will die of AIDS. Now you may think, this is impossible, this is our, these are boisterous exaggerations. But not more than a few hundred years ago, in Europe there was the Black Plague. In Italy, 50% of the entire population of that country died within two years. England, 60% of the population of the entire country died of that one disease within a few years. Ireland, 90% of the population died within, a, within 10 years. In the entire of Europe, 60% of the population of the entire continent died of that disease. That was less than a thousand years ago. It happens. And AIDS is a far worse and severe disease than the plague. People do not understand that when you commit sinful activities, you have to pay the consequence. Why? Because they're ignorant. Why are they ignorant? Because people do not bother to educate people of the laws of God. If you do not believe in God, how can you understand the laws of God? And if you don't accept the laws of God, then you will have to pay the consequences and suffer when you sin. Therefore, the biggest PhDs and professors, the greatest politicians in the land, the quality of their life is the life of a hog. They have no discrimination. They do not know what is valuable, what is not valuable, what is right, what is wrong. What are the consequences of that they're doing? The President of the United States that was sending hundreds and thousands of young people to the battlefields of Vietnam to be killed and, and, and mutilated. That same President 
gained his power and glory and his wealth by slaughtering cows. In, in his name, there were hundreds and thousands of cows mercilessly slaughtered. And the people of America nominated and, and elected him the supreme ruler of their land. When the blind lead the blind, they all fall into the ditch. Why? Svavid varahostra karayar samshita purushaka. Men who are like men who are like hogs, they honor and worship the biggest hog. Men who are like dogs honor and worship the biggest dog. Bhagavatam also compares asses to the human civilization. What is the qualification of an ass? An ass works so hard. Did you ever see how hard an ass works? In America there's a saying when somebody's working hard, they say, you're, he's working like an ass. That's not a very flattering thing to say about somebody. They will take huge loads of wood or grains, whatever, and they'll just put it on this poor ass's back. The more they can put on it, the more they'll put on it. And the ass, will, he can hardly even walk. His legs are trembling. And he'll have to walk mile after mile after mile. And he'll be so tired that he'll be foaming at the mouth. <laughs> and at the end of the day, they will give him a little grass. And he'll think, ah, it was worth it. I get to eat this nice grass. And then he comes home to the she-ass. And usually, if you ever watch asses, I used, to, I actually made a study of asses. I could say I got my degree in the study of asses. It was an informal degree. And it's a fact. The she-ass is very expert at making the, making the he-ass think that the she-ass really likes him. And, when, and then when the he-ass approaches the she-ass, with his mind completely attached to the idea that I will enjoy, then she takes her legs and kicks him in the face. And he falls to the ground. And he thinks, my God, what happened? I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to fall for that trap again. And then he gets up and he starts eating his grass again. And then she comes and waves her tail in his face and he goes, ah, actually, she does like me. And then the whole, the whole process takes place again until, ah, let us enjoy. He gets kicked in the face. So through the whole night, he's simply eating a little grass and getting kicked in the face. And he's working, foaming at the mouth all day for that. Does it sound familiar? 
People work so hard. Here in Bombay, they stand on a train, huh? Where they're just like, just like cattle, just being. Everybody's putting their elbows and their and their feet and your eyes, and you're just being clobbered. And then you're a dirty, filthy train, and you finally get to the station. And if you're a little wealthy, then you get to go through the traffic of, of, of inhaling poisonous exhaust fumes. People are honking at you and screaming at you, why are you cutting me? Huh? And then you finally go to work, and there's so much expected of you, and you just work like an ass foaming at the mouth. And then you take your train back after nine hours of being harassed in the office or in the fields, wherever you're working. Usually no one really respects or appreciates how much you're putting into your job. Everyone just takes it for granted. Right? Isn't that the way it is? You deserve more money, but they won't give it to you. Right? <laughs> and then you come home and you get a little food. And then your children, usually they, don't, they never listen to what you're saying. That's their way of kicking you in the face, right? And the neighbors, and usually your wife or your husband, not necessarily that's so gross as an ass for sex life, but in so many other ways, everyone around you is just kicking you in the face. You work all day. I remember my own father. He used to work like an ass. He used to leave at 6 in the morning, come home 9, 10 at night. My mother would say, why are you late? Why are you always late? Just kicking him in the face. And then the children, we always did all nonsense. We never did what he wanted us to do. He would just, why? I'm working so hard. I'm doing all this for you. Why don't you do anything for me? No appreciation, no love. But if I don't work, I won't get all this. <laughs> so in this way, men are like asses. They work so hard for what? Mudha. And camels. It is described that the camel, his favorite food is thorns. When he chews on the thorns, he starts to bleed. His mouth, his tongue just starts excreting blood. And he starts to suck on that blood, and he drinks the blood, and he thinks, ah, this blood is very tasty. He doesn't know it's his blood. He thinks it's the thorns. He thinks these thorns are so tasty. They're so delicious. They're so juicy. There's no juice in a thorn. He's drinking his own blood. He's mutilating his own body and he's thinking it tastes good. So this is the process of sense gratification. We enjoy our senses and actually what we're doing is we're simply tasting the very life of our life, the blood. We're just letting it all drain from us. In this way, our whole duration of life is being spoiled and we're enjoying it. So Bhagavatam says that men who are like dogs, hogs, camels and asses, 
The greatest pleasure in human society is sex. In India, it's not so much like that. But of course, the population is growing so much, so it must to some extent be like that. But in America, it's very gross. And what is sex life? According to Bhagavatam and according to science, you're losing your own blood. It takes ounces of blood to create one drop of semen. And you're losing it all, and you're thinking that it's enjoyable. That is the mentality of a foolish camel. So men who are like dogs, hogs, camels, and asses, they praise and glorify men who are like bigger dogs, hogs, camels, and asses. And this is the condition of society. Therefore, people do not understand what are the real problems of life and how they are to be solved. Such persons, they do not understand that human life is meant for quality. It is not meant simply for quantity, like the dogs, hogs, camels, axes. It is not meant to be like the tree. Human life is meant for self-realization. Human life is meant to understand the liberated condition by which there is no more birth, old age, disease, and death. Human life is meant to transcend these problems and realize the true nature of the self. The problem of death is very bad. And the problem of birth is a big problem. The population of the earth is growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and nobody knows when or where it will stop. And people are trying so many remedies to solve the problem. Let us have abortion. Let us have contraceptive. Let us have family planning. But somehow or other we have to curb the population of the world. But the population is growing and growing and growing despite all their efforts. There is a billboard I saw here in Bombay that says there are 70,000 babies born a day. Did you see that billboard? My God, that's so many babies a day. There's a shortage of space. There's a shortage of food. There's a shortage of medical accommodation. There's a shortage of educational facilities cannot keep up with it. There's a tremendous problem due to birth. There's a tremendous problem due to death. There's a tremendous problem of old age. In America, there's a horrible problem. What to do with the old people? In India, there's some culture where the children take care of their parents until they die. But in America, as soon as you turn 18 and you can legally leave the house, you have nothing to do with your parents, save and accept the phone call a couple times a year or maybe a couple times a month if you're very close. Nobody lives with their parents. It's too troublesome. Therefore, the parents, they don't know what to do. 
When they're old, they have what's called social security. But nobody cares about them. Nobody loves them. They can't protect themselves. They go into a retirement home, an old folks home, they call it. And they just laying there and people, just hired people, give them this, give them that. So impersonal and cold. And the old people, the, the quantity of old people is growing more and more and more because they're giving these old people so many drugs, they're having longer lives, not naturally, but due to drugs. And everybody else, they're living a little longer in a completely helpless condition. And everybody else is growing to that age. And it's a huge population explosion of old people. And nobody knows what to do with them. It's one of the most unsolvable, unpredictable problems in America. Nobody cares about these people. What are we going to do with them all? The government is scratching their heads. And they need so much care and so much attention. And they're being treated so cruelly because nobody cares about them, nobody wants them. And to the degree India becomes westernized, to that degree, that will be the condition of the old people. So this is a big problem, old age. And disease, my God, we've already talked about AIDS, what to speak of cancer. We have doctors in this room, we have people who are in owners of medical clinics. They know what a problem disease is. Our Aravind Mafidlal, the father of Hridayanand and Maitali Priya, out of his charitable devotion to his Guru Maharaj, he performs tens and thousands of free eye operations for people who would ordinarily go blind. There's such a problem with disease in this world for the young, for the middle-aged, for the old. In this country, the problem with disease is people have curable diseases, but they have no money to treat them. So they're just, just going blind, going deaf, getting leprosy. If they just had a little money, a little education, it could be avoided. But people are unnecessarily suffering and dying because of a lack of money and education. Recently we were, we were in Ganesh Puri and we were discussing with, with these very religious people who have a hospital bus. They go to the ghettos with these hospital buses and people are suffering from diseases but they will not take medicine because they just, they're just illiterate people. They don't know better. They say the government, when you want what is that disease? If you get an abortion, the government will pay you something like 200 rupees. So these people, they have a disease and they come and these, these, these charitable doctors come to their homes and say, here, we want to treat you, take this medicine, be cured. And they say, how much will you pay me? How much will we pay? We'll give you everything for free. He says, well, for an abortion, we can get 200 rupees. What are you going to pay me? If you don't pay me anything, I don't want your treatment. Huh? That is the condition. People are foolish. 
In America, people have lots of money. In America, not only do they have lots of money, but they're highly educated. But they have as much disease as in India. But the problem is different. Due to such a, a, a extremely and exorbitantly unnatural lifestyle, they have diseases that cannot be cured. The richest people in America, most of them go to psychiatrists. They have mental disease, which is actually more afflicting and painful than physical disease, right? People do not commit suicide over physical disease very much. But mental disease, people commit suicide, which means mental disease, anxiety, is even more of a condition of suffering than physical disease. And as far as physical diseases, cancer, AIDS, heart disease, these are things that are practically incurable. And it's a big, big problem. Due to unrestricted sense enjoyment. Disease is a big, big problem in this world. Birth, old age, disease, and death. These are the four problems of life. Not how to have better food, or not how I can get a better job, or how I can get a nicer family, or how I can have nicer clothes, or how I could protect my reputation. These are not problems. The real problems of life are birth, old age, disease, and death. And with all of our scientific advancement and all of our pursuits of economic development, no one is coming any closer to solving any of these four problems. There is only one solution to these four problems. Knowledge. Knowledge that birth, old age, disease, and death only pertain to this physical temporary body. Inevitably, they will. The sadhus. The solution is to understand that you are not this physical body, and that you are the eternal soul. Najayate mriyate vakata chinayan bhutmavavata vanabuya ajonite sheshvato yampurano nahanyate hanyamane sarire. For the soul, there is neither birth, old age, disease, or death. The soul is not slain when the body dies. Bhagavad Gita says that the soul cannot be cut into pieces by any weapon. It cannot be withered by the wind. It cannot be moistened by water. It is indestructible. And you are the eternal soul. That this body is a dress, it is a garment. Just like today you have a dress, how long will your dress remain? You know that inevitably by wearing it it's going to get worn out, you're going to have to cast it away and get another one. So what? What is the big deal? It's inevitable. Why be attached to your clothes? 
You remain the same whole healthy being whether your clothes get ripped up or not. So similarly, when the soul is healthy, when the soul is in knowledge, when you realize that you are the eternal soul and you realize your eternal blissful condition, then the problem of birth, old age, disease, and death, which is inevitable upon your body, no longer disturbs you. As long as you're on the bodily concept of life, there is no question of lasting constant peace. The foolish materialists, they have the philosophy, why do you not like suffering? After all, if there wasn't suffering, you wouldn't really be able to enjoy the good times. Isn't that what everyone says? If there wasn't the bad times, we wouldn't appreciate the good times. This is because they have no conception of anything beyond this happiness and distress, the dualities of material existence. The spirit soul is beyond dualities of material existence. The soul by its own nature is satchit ananda vigraha. It is eternal, full of knowledge and full of bliss. Therefore, Krishna says in the Gita, one who is intelligent, he is illumined from within, he is enlightened within, he rejoices within, he finds his pleasure within. All the joy and glory of the spiritual world is within your heart. And we've left that behind searching after the mirages of material existence. When you are in a desert, do you expect to quench your thirst in a desert? No one quenches their thirst in the desert. The desert is a place of hot sun and hot sand. But, just to keep you enlivened about being in the desert, there is from time to time so many mirages. A mirage is due to the contact of the sun hitting the sand, it appears that there's water. And you start running after that water thinking, ah, now I will be happy. Now I'm finding the success and the goal of my life. There's water to quench my thirst. Then you knew like a madman. Bhagavatam says, anyone who is searching for sense enjoyment in this world is like a madman, insane, chasing a mirage in a desert. Huh? What do you hope to get? I'll tell you what you get. You go to that mirage and you say, ah, I will quench my thirst, and you put it in your mouth, and it's hot sand, and you spit it out. Oof. But there is real pleasure. In other words, the reason why you are chasing after the mirage of water in the desert, the illusion of water in the desert, is because there is somewhere real water. If there wasn't real water somewhere, you would not be thinking that that's it. If there was not real money, there would be no such thing as counterfeit money. Counterfeit is an imitation of what should be real. 
So real pleasure is within you. Real water is within you. And in this world, there is simply the reflection or the image, the illusion of that water outside of you that you're constantly chasing after, chasing after, chasing after. But like sand, you hold it in your hands, but how long can you keep sand in your hands? It runs through your fingers and it's lost. The pleasures of this, the so-called pleasures of this world, even if you think it's pleasing, in due course of time it's gone. You cannot hold on to anything. Huh? So therefore, an intelligent man understands where the nectar, where the water, where the real nourishment is. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has said, Anandam budivaradanam pradibadam punamratasvadanam saravatmasna paramparam vijayate sri krishna sankirtanam. That everyone is looking for pleasure. The pleasure you are all seeking and searching and hunting for throughout your life, throughout your journey in this world, birth after birth after birth, is right within your own heart. And by chanting the name of God, you can break open that storehouse of spiritual nourishment and enjoy eternally. By chanting the holy name of the Lord, we awaken the pleasure potency of God, which is within our own heart. By the chanting of the transcendental sound vibration of Arinam, we can realize the eternal reality of our own existence. And through the simple process of chanting the holy name of God, we can solve the problems once and for all of birth, old age, disease, and death. It is so simple. Man is making so many extravagant arrangements to solve these problems and are getting nowhere. It's getting worse and worse. The more you try to solve the problems of material life, the more you become entangled in the complexities of this existence. But simply by chanting God's name, all problems will be solved. If you're having a nightmare, you're dreaming that, you have, that you're in a very difficult condition, the problem is not within the dream to be solved, the problem is simply to wake up. The spirit soul is sleeping, it's dreaming. As soon as the soul simply wakes up to its reality, no problems. The only problem in this world is a lack of God consciousness. The only problem in this entire creation is a lack of Krishna consciousness. As soon as the Krishna consciousness awakens within your heart, there's no problems. Om Purnam Adha Purnam Vidam Purnat Purnam Udachyate Purnasya Purnam Adaya Purnam Eva Vishishyate when you understand the truth, you know that the truth is perfect and complete. And everything emanating from the truth is perfect and complete. And everything is an emanation of the tr absolute truth. 
Therefore, in this God-conscious condition of life, you see how everything is perfect and complete. And you can be fully satisfied in any condition, whether you're a businessman or a doctor or a agriculturalist or a farmer or a video recorder man or a housewife or a mother or a father or a lawyer. Whatever you may be, it doesn't matter. If you perform your duty in divine consciousness, with realization of the soul's relationship with the Supreme Soul or God, self-realization, then you are like a lotus flower. A lotus flower can even grow in the muddiest places, but the lotus flower remains fresh and pure. The soul cannot be contaminated by any conditions of this world. This is the science of self-realization. This is the goal of life. This is the only means of solving the real problems within our own life, personally. And if we really want to be the keeper of our brothers, the well-wisher and lover of our family members, our friends, our society members, if we really want to be a true, charitable, well-wisher of all living beings, Bharata bhumite hoila manusya janma jara janma saratakakare para upakar. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, Those born of India, it is their birthright to be God conscious. Everyone else in the world, it is also their birthright to some extent, but their birth is very far comparatively to understanding these principles. So it is the duty and first and foremost responsibility of every human being, especially those who have the opportunity of being born in India, to perfect their own lives through the process of self-realization and by giving the greatest charity of that same enlightenment to all the world. And in this way we can actually, tangibly, practically and really solve the problems of life. So let us take this very seriously. For those who are just coming and trying to get some acquaintance with the philosophy of Krishna consciousness, my humble request is that you seriously reflect on the subject matter that is being discussed tonight because it does pertain to you. Reevaluate the values of your life and really question, what do I want? What is the goal? What is white life? What is life to be lived for? What is the quality I want to develop within my life? Is there a God? Who is God? What is my relationship with God? And what is real happiness? What is real love? Ask these questions. Do not simply leave this room and think, oh, it was a nice lecture. We are not concerned with giving nice lectures. Our concern is not to convert people to this religion or that religion. Our concern is simply that people take very seriously and contemplate on what is the true goal of life. What do I really want in life? What is human life meant for? 
And for those who have already accepted Krishna consciousness, my humble request is that every day we have to take an inventory and reevaluate our own goals, reevaluate our own commitment. and try to purify and crystallize that seed of devotion that is within us. And question within the core of our heart, what am I really doing to help the world, and how can I do more? Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Is there any questions? Yes. God has created dogs, hogs, and human beings. Everything is creation of God. So how is it that uh, he has not provided dogs, hogs uh, with the power of discriminating between good and the bad and God deciding what is really good and what they should do. As you told that hogs, they do not, they may just like to have this tool and... Mm. Because it is a law of nature that if you do not use something you have, it is taken away. Correct? Just like if you're leg is put in a cast for six months, when you take off the cast, you have to walk on crutches. Your leg has lost its ability to walk because it hasn't used the facility that it has. Correct? Anything in this world, if you do not use it, you lose it in due course of time. If you have the human birth, which is exclusively meant for self-realization, and you neglect to use it for that purpose, then the lower species of life is a facility where you can try to enjoy the facilities of this physical body, but you lose the opportunity for self-realization. There are 8,400,000 species of life, of which 8 million have no power to understand the goal of life. Why? Because they have, they have unfortunately wasted the opportunity previously, so they are, the soul is cast into those species of life. But each of those species is gradually evolving through the, prop, through the process of spiritual transmigration. And ultimately all species of life are coming closer and closer to the human form. And after perhaps going through eight million species, you come to the human form of life. There are, there are 400,000 species of human life, of which most are uncivilized. When you finally come to a civilized condition of life, then and only then do you have the opportunity to perfect the needs of the soul. Then you are given discrimination, 
You are given intelligence and you are given the power to choose which no other species of life is awarded. And the purpose of that independent choice, the purpose of that discrimination and intelligence is to examine atato brahma jigyasa to inquire and examine what is the goal of life, who am I, what is God, and what is my relationship. If you utilize your good human birth for that purpose and emphasize that, of course, like the animals, we have to maintain our physical bodies, but that's not the goal. Like the animals, we have to maintain our families, but that is not the goal. The goal is self-realization. If you are not willing to use your, goal, your life for that goal and pursue that goal, then for one who does not use, they will lose. There is nothing more unfortunate than that. There is no greater misfortune than wasting the valuable opportunity of human birth. Are there any other questions? What is meant by self-realization? Because we see that those who are on the spiritual path also have to suffer, they are cold, die. So what is the ultimate uh, they are achieving on the path of the spiritual level? We have already explained the difference between the body and the soul. Jesus Christ said, be in this world, but not of this world. The body will grow old, get diseased, and die. If your pleasure is coming from the body, then your, all your pleasures will ultimately be frustrated. But if you are deriving pleasure from what is within, your happiness, your peace will never be frustrated. Because that pleasure is not subjected to the natural conditions of this physical world. That pleasure is on the spiritual platform. Consciousness is itself eternal. There is no such thing as temporary consciousness. Consciousness is the symptom of the presence of the soul and all consciousness is eternal. Because all consciousness is emanating from God. It is directly connected to God who is the supreme source of all consciousness. It is just like a sun ray. You as part of God are like a sun ray and God is like the sun. Now even though a sun ray may be on this earth, is the sun ray considered, is its home considered to be the earth or the sun? Which one? The sun ray is right here on the earth. But is the home of the sun ray the earth or the sun? Because it's coming from the sun. It is of the same quality as the sun. It is not of the same quality as the earth. It's not coming from the earth. It just happens to be here. But it's connected to the sun. It's almost like hanging from the sun, right? 
So similarly, are you conscious or unconscious? This world of matter is unconscious. All matter is unconscious. But the soul is conscious. Therefore, the soul has nothing directly to do with this unconscious matter, although it's, it happens to be here. But its connection and its source is God, who is the supreme source of all consciousness. So if you are relating yourself, if the sun ray is thinking, I am part of this world, this earth. It isn't, but as long as it thinks it is, it's identifying with the deadness of this world, right? But if the sun ray understands its real position, that my real connection is to the sun, my real source is the sun, my real nature is I'm part of the sun. Even though the sun ray is on this world, and it's watching all the deadness of this world, it's not affected. So similarly, when we understand that we are part of God, we are coming from God, our real home is with God, we are eternally connected to God, even though we may be in this physical body, watching the dead body go through the, trans go through the process of old age, disease, and death, as long as we are remembering our connection to God, there is no suffering. The body is suffering, but the soul is finding its pleasure in God, not in this world. The soul is finding pleasure where real pleasure is, within your own existence. Hmm? Any other questions? Yes. When you explain so logically and rationally, it makes so much sense, and we can understand how the uh, the soul is. Uh, you know, we are the soul, and we cannot identify with the body. But then, why is it uh, so? Why has God made it so difficult for us to actually realize it? It should be uh, everyone should be given a fighting chance. I mean, you know, this way. You have a fighting chance, but you have to be willing to fight to take the chance. People are very conditioned. People are conditioned since time immemorial by their own activities and by their own choice to be hankering after the temporary flickering pleasures of this world. And therefore, to revert your consciousness back again to, a, to your own virtuous qualities in relationship with God takes a total transformation of our life. We have to completely recondition our entire way of thinking, our entire value system, which is not a very easy thing. But then again, if you want something valuable, you have to pay the price. If you want broken glass, you can pay anything for it. It doesn't cost much. If you want a diamond, you have to be willing to pay. Nothing good in this world is cheap. Unless you're willing to recondition your life and reevaluate your values in life, stand out from among men and be separate in your way of thinking, then you are not worthy of self-realization. Simply by accepting the value and the goal of life, 
being God and God consciousness and chanting the holy names is not very difficult. But because the social conditioning around us is so averse to this, it appears difficult. But if we are in the association of saintly persons, it makes it much easier. Because it becomes easier to recondition ourselves. That is why association with saintly persons is the most important part of our spiritual development. It makes it simple. Of course, this is the age of Kali Yuga. The reason why a person takes birth in Kali Yuga is because his karma is very, very spiritually low. Huh? In Sati Yuga, 100% of the population was God-conscious. In Treta Yuga, 75% of the population was God-conscious. In Dwarpa Yuga, 50% of the population was God-conscious. In Kali Yuga, at the beginning, hardly 25%, and it gets less and less and less. So the fact that you're born in Kali Yuga means it's going to be very difficult. Why? Because the whole atmosphere, the environment all around you is so contaminated by illusion, ignorance, greed, lust, and pride. It's very dis difficult to just extract yourself from all the social pressures and all the atmospheric pressures that are just driving you to materialistic ways. Very difficult. Therefore, in Kali Yuga, God is so kind, Krishna is so kind, that he gives a process that is so simple that anyone can perfect their lives. Kali Yuga, you have no qualities. Everything around you is so against your pursuit for spiritual life. Therefore, in this age, all you have to do is associate with sadhus and chant the holy names and you will attain perfection. Krishna is very kind. Because in other ages, it's not very difficult. But in Kali Yuga, it's so difficult. The Supreme Personality of Godhead gives such a simple process to compensate so that anyone who has sincerity in the age of Kali can and will attain the perfection of realization, self-realization. But even though Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the great avatar of Sri Krishna, is coming and freely giving the holy name freely given the way to eternal peace to everyone, still he's begging, just take it, it's free, don't pay anything, just take it. Man, woman, child, literate, illiterate, rich, poor, it doesn't matter, just chant, Hare Krishna. Nobody wants to do it. They're afraid what their neighbors will say. They're afraid what their friends and colleagues may say. Huh? Even though they understand. This is the unfortunate condition. But if you take the mercy of the Lord, if you take the holy name, you are the most fortunate. Even if I accept the first part, which is... Uh, uh, with, uh, with our intelligence, we can understand this is the process. But then again, now you are saying that uh, the, the simplest form in uh, way in this world, in this Kali Yuga, is to chant. It's difficult for us to believe that we have to then, uh, we who pride ourselves on our dignity and our refinement and who use our intellect to understand this process of 
detaching ourselves, we are the soul and not the body. And then suddenly we must lose control and chant and dance and, and uh, do these uh, childish activities. This is the only way it's difficult to believe. Lord Jesus said, until you become like a child, you're not fit to enter into the kingdom of God. <laughs> we are God's children. The problem is we're trying to be the master. We're trying to be the controller. We should accept the position that we are the humble child of God. The greatest philosophers that have ever stepped foot on this earth Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami. What are they teaching? They wrote dozens and dozens, hundreds of books of the most deepest scrutinizing philosophy ever seen by man. And their conclusion is always the same. That the realization of this philosophy is to chant the holy names and to dance and to glorify the Lord. The philosophy can show you the way, but the actual realization comes through the chanting of the name. I can describe to you honey, but until you open the jar and taste it, you'll never really know what is honey. Philosophy can explain to you and convince you that honey is good, but until you open the jar and taste it, you'll never actually be nourished. Huh? So this process of chanting and dancing, which is introduced by Lord Chaitanya, which is recommended in the Vedic literatures, is not a childish activity. To the saintly persons, people who, in a false sense of false prestige, are fighting over dignity and honor, that is totally childish, right? But someone who's willing to put all that aside and chant the holy names in ecstasy and dance, those persons are actually grown up. They've grown beyond the superficialities of material life. Do you ever think, does, does a child ever think he's childish? Did you ever see your children? They have a toy and they say, this toy is mine. No, this toy is mine. I'm a better player than you are. I won the race. No, no, I won the race, right? And they're talking about their honor and dignity, right? I'm the best football player in all of um, car. No, no, I'm a best football player in all of car. And they have, uh, but look at, I can do like this, but you cheated, I did like this. Right? They're fighting over their dignity and honor. Don't all children fight like this? But what did the parents think? <laughs> what is the such stupid dignity and honor? It's all just petty childishness. So the big, big politicians and the big, big businessmen, they're so attached to their honor and to their dignity, which is all a hunkar, false ego. The sadhu laughs at it. It's all childishness. When will they grow up? Huh? Yes? So if we have, if as living spiritual soul, if we were all originally Krishna conscious, then why did we choose to be envious of Krishna? 
A more important question is why do you continue to be envious? Right? You're a doctor. A patient mistreats his health and gets sick. Why did he do it? Because he's crazy. <laughs> the question is, okay, you've done it. Now why do you continue to do it? That's the real question. Here's the medicine. Why don't you become, why don't you, the real question is why don't you take the medicine and be cured? The fact is you are sick. You've made a mistake. Huh? You have your freedom of choice. Freedom to love has to include the freedom to leave. Right? Without freedom there can be no love. So God gives us freedom. So we, we misused our freedom and we left God. We wanted to enjoy the position of God rather than accept the servant of God, accept the service of the Lord. So this material world is a place to facilitate those who want to live independent of the loving service of the Lord, those who want to be the enjoyer rather than be the enjoyed. Why you came here? Because you have that independence, because you have that right. But now that you understand the predicament you're in, the real question is, why do you remain here? Why do you remain in ignorance? Remaining in this world is no problem. We are not against this world, we are against ignorance. Even if you're in this world, if you're in knowledge, you're actually in the spiritual world. This world, if you're in knowledge, you'll see that this world is the spiritual world. But if you're in ignorance, you cannot see. The problem is ignorance. And the solution to the problem is knowledge. Not theoretical knowledge, but realized knowledge. And that comes through the simple process of hearing in the association of saintly persons and chanting the holy names. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram Ram, Hari Hari. Thank you very much. You have to sit here. Yes. You said that everyone should start, I mean, everyone should be chanting. How will this chanting control the population? I will, how will the chanting control the population? Because dogs, hogs, camels, and asses, their life is based on the principle of ignorance. They do not know their real welfare. They do not know the real goal of life. They do not know the treasure that is within themselves. This chanting opens the doors to liberation. This chanting awakens within you all knowledge. All knowledge is inherent within the soul.
All peace and prosperity is inherent within the soul. It is like saying that when the sun rises, how are we going to get rid of the darkness of the night? What is your answer? Huh? Yes. So, due to darkness of ignorance, all these problems are taking place. Every problem, birth, old age, disease, and death, they are all due to the darkness of ignorance. By the chanting of the holy names, the cloud of ignorance that is covering the sun of the soul is removed. And when that light emanates from the soul, all darkness is automatically dispelled. Krishna Surya Samayohaya Andhakar Yahan Krishna Tahan Mai Maya Adhikar. That Maya or ignorance is like darkness, and Krishna or knowledge is like the sun. In the presence of Krishna, darkness cannot exist. In the presence of the sun, darkness cannot exist. Krishna is within you. You are part of Krishna. When the light of the soul is uncovered and it shines for the whole world, it gives light. And no darkness can stand before you. As long as you're in the darkness, you cannot, you're, you're thinking, well, in the darkness, what about the thieves, and what about the snakes, and what about the scorpions? As long as you're in darkness, there's no way you can understand the, the solution to the problem. But when the sun rises, automatically all the thieves and everyone else disappear. Because such such lowly creatures exist only in the darkness. Hmm? It's very easy. When you are self-satisfied within, then you have control over your senses. When you have a control over your senses, you only have a child when you want to have a child. That is the way the population is supposed to be controlled, by sense control. Through contraceptives, abortion, and family planning, we're not going to control the population. We're only going to disturb the very natural balance of this material existence. And it's going to create havoc, because it's an unnatural way of trying to control a natural urge, right? The natural remedy for birth control is sense control, is it not? And the only way you can control your senses is if you're experiencing something higher. Otherwise, you cannot give up these lower pleasures. When you realize the pleasure of the soul, when you experience the sweetness of the holy name, then you become indifferent to these materialistic pleasures.
And then you can understand what is the evolution of this world and what it's coming to, and you can actually act responsibly. And to the degree more and more people are educated and experience these realizations, to that degree this problem of the world will be solved. But in the meantime, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Do you understand? They have the mentality of owls. You know, I don't know if in India you say like this, but in the Western civilization, when you're very wise, they say you're wise like an owl. Do you say like that here? The owl is considered very wise. What is the wisdom of an owl? An owl only is awake in darkness. An owl sleeps all day when there's light, and he comes awake when there's darkness. And he's very expert. He looks very wise. He looks very saintly. He just sits there like this. He looks very wise and very grave. But actually, he's a creature of the night. He's a creature of darkness. His wisdom is wisdom within darkness. Huh? So the so-called big, big scholars and philosophers of this world, they are wise like owls. They are very expert at living in darkness. Huh? <laughs> Unless you're willing to give up your occupation as an owl and sincerely try to transform your life and understand higher principles, unless you are willing to humble yourself and accept that I do not know, please instruct me. Unless you are sincere and are willing to become submissive, you cannot truly grasp spiritual concepts of life. Huh? And the fact is, people are so proud of being owls, they are not willing to sincerely submit themselves and humble themselves before a teacher. And therefore, even though they hear so many things and so many things make sense to them, they want to remain wise in their world of darkness. They're not willing to come into the light. Because if they come in, if an owl comes into the light, he's no longer the wise man. He's just a regular old bird, right? <laughs> as, lo as long as he's a creature of the night, he's the wise owl. But in the day, he's just an ordinary bird, right? So we're very proud of our prestigious condition in the darkness. If we take to spiritual life, we just have to humble ourselves and understand I am simply the, we have to admit, I'm just the insignificant servant of God. Huh? Are you willing to do that? Very few people are.
That is why even though they come to Pravachan or lecture, they leave and they remain the same. Because they want to remain creatures of the night.